0: The Norwegian Method. I'm Olaf
1: Alexander Du, peak human performance developer, coach to Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden.
0: I'm Dr. David Lipman, a health and human performance specialist. Welcome to the Norwegian Method podcast. This podcast is sponsored by VO2 Master, the ultimate portable metabolic analyzer. Head to the show notes to learn how to get your first assessment kit free. So welcome back to the Norwegian Method Podcast, I'm joined again by Olaf, of course, and we've currently covered off our sort of fundamentals, our planning of a season, our racing, and now we're going to get into the training side of things. So now that we've got our plan for the season, how we would do that, we've selected a couple of races, we know how we're going to taper for them. We're going to start with the other end and start to talk about, you know, the beginning and how we go things. So how are you apportioning time for each discipline? So of course, gap analysis is part of that, right? If you're a weak swimmer, more time on swimming, that makes intrinsic sense to a lot of people. But regardless of that, how do you apportion the time? And is this via sessions or duration or calorie budget? Calorie budget. Yeah, okay, that makes
1: sense. Um, And then of course, I would not advise people on going trying to convert like uh, running kilometers into calories or kilojoules into calories because there the span is quite wide. So the only reason why you should use calories is because you're then measuring calories. You can say that maybe at lower levels where you, or let's say when you do less volume, so combination of intensity and duration, then of course the calorie turnover per week will naturally also be lower. Um, the, the the higher you get on, le, um, let's say, volume within a cycle, a day or a cycle, sh- micro to meso or macro, the more critical the, yeah. le, the precision is. So this is of course where it's more important to use more instruments but I would say that for for age groupers yes if you want to learn more then like getting a portable metabolic analyzer is like brilliant um, because it is a study in yourself Um, but I would say that it's not critical necessarily for your performance you can get away with simpler tools and then you just look at let's say your kilojoule budget or even your distance budget how many kilometers are you running per week and then you plan from that. But I personally, I like to plan from how much intensity I prescribe an either as a form of distance, kilojoules on a bike or calories ultimately um, to understand how to distribute it. And it is based, like you say, on a gap analysis where you understand a little bit where are the limitations uh, for, the, for the athletes. And of course, in the end, it's a balance. It's not about being the fastest swimmer. It's about being the fastest triathlete. Uh, you don't give away 30 seconds just because you want to give up, because that's going to set you up a win but there's a balance to this and like surely we can make Christian and Gustav faster swimmers but I do but if you look at it just as a group there are many of the people that are first out to the water that are far from the podium when it comes to the finish line and that is what matters in the end then you have to look a little bit okay where do we need to prioritize and I don't say that we, we are looking of course to become faster in swimming so this is actually one of the places where maybe we have gone through most evolutions and we are getting closer we are not. We, we think we can still gain more seconds on, on the swim before it really let's so say that it, we are jeopardizing then the possibility to be on the podium um in the end
0: and i think that's an important point is there's always a trade-off here so for a christian to be in the first group you're going to have to trade something off it's not oh we don't want to so we're not it's we're not willing to make the sacrifices required based on these things but i think just to to really help i guess the listeners is so if we're apportioning um budgets of whatever let's use time because probably time is the resource that the yep. um that yep. the age group is not going to have versus yep. calories being an issue how would you apportion time in a week let's say on a very even triathlete, let's say the triathlete um, needs to move the whole curve across. um, So the whole velocity curve, but across all three disciplines. So very balanced triathlete versus somebody who's, you know, had a childhood swimming background and and never ran. And now is, you know, now is a swim biker or something like that. So let's not use that example. Let's use the one who's very well-rounded. How would you roughly apportion it? And then acknowledging that this answer obviously doesn't consider gap analysis and that the gap analysis would impact things.
1: Um, so, Uh, maybe like a general rule there i would approach it more like looking at the distribution of the race Uh, yeah so and then i would use the percentage of that to let's say partially get an idea of how i would distribute it here you can also combine things a little bit like you don't have to have equally much maybe like run and biking they actually go quite they they influence each other in in in, in in a positive way done right Um, swimming there it's it's a very different modality so there you don't have to be equally careful about what you i'll say intensity there won't necessarily like have an equally big impact on your on your bike it will have but it won't have a necessarily equally big impact on that in the same way that for example biking will have on your running
0: yep and are you talking about in training so you're talking about carrying fatigue or are you talking about in a race
1: no in training actually purely in training because like for example for when if you if you train 20 hours a week yep as an age grouper i would actually also say that you are actually running into the domain where you have to be actually careful about getting in enough calories definitely so i would say distribution should be start out with something that more or less resembles a little bit your when you're 20 hours a week yeah uh, what, what what the race distribution is well, so
0: start start from the race and yep. then modify based on gap analysis is probably the easiest answer. So yep. if you're a weak swimmer, you probably need to add some more of that in. If you're a weak biker, you need to do a little bit more of that and vice versa. The one thing to consider is the impact that the cycling will have on running and vice versa. So if you decide that, hey, I'm a weak runner, I'm going to do more running, just understand that's going to impact your recovery for the bike because they are more similar and yep. um, have more crossover. So both, that's a good and a bad thing. It will impact your recovery, but it will also form a uh, provide some stimulus to adapt as well. Yeah,
1: so one way you can do that also, you don't necessarily think of that you always have to do uh, do it in order of a triathlon, like swim, bike, run. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would rather look there more a little bit on the priorities. So, for example, exactly like you say, let's say that you are suffering a little bit on the run. There can be many reasons for that. One, basically, you're not prioritizing enough. You are too slow uh, in, in training generally, even when you do the running training isolated. Um, and um, then of course it can also be that yes you are running really well if you do an isolated session but you just see that after you've been biking you are your running is very different maybe an indicator of that you are not prioritizing enough like practicing enough when you are fatigued but the other way can also be around that you are actually biking over your actually abilities in, in a race too um, but without complicating it any further, I would say that um, can be mindful of obviously a little bit, like what what I what, what are my strengths and weaknesses or how, how do I perceive them? Don't be afraid of making a change because that's what you learn from. Um, uh, and you have a long, long time in front of you with many years of training, and you are gonna enjoy this. And very often we enjoy things more when we start to understand things and we figure out things. And the best way to do that is through experimentation and not being afraid of it. Make small changes, uh, which again makes it more fun uh, to just see, okay, how, how does this feel? How, how is this going to be? And then be patient because change takes time. Okay. Um, and then the second part of it is uh, that when you are now doing your sessions, sometimes it can be actually okay to do your run first because you want to be fresh for that run in order to to work on something like especially
0: your, if you're weak at running that might actually yeah. be an advantage is to like do that you know prioritize that be fresher for your run sessions to help really gain some of that stimulus you after yeah before if, you
1: can build exactly. back you reverse it and you'll be you you focus more or less like being fatigued also when you do that
0: exactly because the goal isn't to be a good runner it's to yes. be a good runner
1: at the end of a triathlon exactly so there, there are, uh, yeah, there are many ways to do, to do this. I, there Again, there is no one rule. Uh, and I think that's, of course, the benefit of people that are like, they're really passionate about what they are doing. They are mindful about it. They are looking at how, what can I do and improve? And sometimes you just need that confirmation from somebody like a coach or others saying that, hey, that this is not done yet. That's a good idea. Uh, or you just. Read or listen to a podcast where somebody actually says, "Hey, that is not dangerous to do." We we've that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome.
0: Um, and then um, yeah, I think asking questions is the answer. So yeah, so under so I'm a poor runner in my triathlons. Well, is it because you're a poor runner? Is it because you're a poor run off the bike? Is it something else? Right, and and starting to interrogate that and make have a hypothesis, test it. So okay, I think it's just my pu- my pure running ability. I go do some fresh run training and try and really spend some more time running then all of a sudden it gets better okay there's the answer or it doesn't get better now it's oh maybe it's because i'm overbiking okay maybe i need to work on my bike more or maybe i need to work on my run bike more so it's it's have a theory test it and then validate it
1: via training numbers but also a race and of course, one thing that we shouldn't under- underestimate because we very often, of course, for us as elites, then it's about bringing home the best time, total finish time. That's, yep. that's what matters in yeah. Not how fast we swim or how fast we bike or how fast we run, but actually how fast we swim, bike and run.
0: Yeah. So that actually brings us to the next question I wanted to ask, which is, how are you deciding whether to aside from a competitor analysis, let's assume that you're an age group and you don't really know your competitors. How do you decide whether you should be doubling down on a strength or working on a weakness? And how do you apportion that time? Because my inherent bias is let's work on our weaknesses, but that makes you very flat. And, and by flat, I mean very consistent across three, right? Then all of a sudden you're even across three, but some of the best in the world are, are very much not that. They are a little bit deficient in one area, but they're exceptional in the other. So how do you decide on doing that?
1: Um, again, it depends a little bit on how much there. What's what is the reward of working on it? But let's say that it's something that has an equal impact. So you yep. have the, your strength has an equal impact on your, let's say, on your abilities to win a race as the weakness has to. Um, um, uh, hold you back from winning a race.
0: That's a that's a good example because you could come out of the swim too far down to hit a bike group, so that doesn't matter how good your run is. You're not going to run through the field, right? So, yeah. so even working on your run then is irrelevant compared to hey, I'm better off spending a bit of time with swim. So let's ignore the gap analysis there and just say that it's equal, equally impactful as you said.
1: Yeah. Then, uh, well, it is a little bit difficult, of course, to 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 ignore that. But if you just look at it purely as a time function then I would look at basically, okay, if I shifted now towards my swim, if I gain five minutes there by changing this much in my training, would I be able to gain those five minutes, for example, in the run? So basically it, it purely comes down to how much time can there be gained by shifting the focus a little bit. So if you, let's say that you invest now, you take, you have a certain budget. So let's say you have 20 hours a week if you use hours. So if you have 20 hours a week and now you shift, like say, one more hour over onto the, um, onto the, uh, the swim. If you are not able to gain, or it's not realistic to gain five minutes by investing that extra hour in the swim there, and you're going to lose now by taking that hour away from the bike or the run, and you're going to lose six minutes on there, then that's wrong. Yep. Uh, you have to put hours where you see that you can basically gain more. I think too many people get occupied like having like a standardized program and it has to be this many hours on a swim. It has to be this many hours on a bike. It has to be this many hours on a run. Be more flexible. Play around with it. The worst thing you do is that you quote unquote fail. Uh, because you learn from this and you basically find it and then of course like doing it one time you can't necessarily say that whether this was right or wrong you have to fail a couple of times Uh, and that's what's going to set you up for winning much more times later on because you understand better exactly how do different things influence you and that is different a little bit from person to person but I think you're not looking to suddenly say hey I have to improve my swims I'm going to not run now for the next week that's not what we are talking about we are talking about taking half an hour or an hour of your run for example on let's say on your non-critical run sessions or as a low priority run sessions or spike sessions for example and then you shift it over to so you take it maybe in this sense I would maybe take it from since you're doing triathlon I would look at which discipline is the less sensitive from taking hours away from without Im- most likely impacting performance. So, for example, if I know that I'm very strong in the biking and taking away half an hour or something like this or an hour and adding that to 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 my swim to be able to put in something there, that's probably what I would do because I've already then made, let's say, the reflection on that this will most likely not impact my biking at all. Yeah. And But I, want, I'm, I, I might actually, if I do this... Now, um, impact your consistent, yeah, consistently. Yeah, consistently over a couple of weeks or a month. I hopefully I'm gonna see a little bit of improvement here in in the swimming. If I don't, don't necessarily discard that idea. Just look at did I do it the right way, or should I do maybe some other changes there on the on, on the same And of course, at some point you have to pull the trigger and just say, hey, okay, that that was not what gave the results. Then I have to do, do another approach. But that's again the fun thing about it. Don't make it complicated. Do simple stuff make simple changes one change at a time be patient and then see basically how that and that's what you learn from and that's again also a way or let's say a process or a method also that you should that you will greatly benefit from of, of, of applying in other places of life or maybe you have that already other places in your life why don't apply it to your triathlon as well
0: yeah i think it's important to consider um, the stimulus required to gain an adaptation is not the same as to maintain it so if you're at a certain level say on, um, on bike and run maintaining that is a little bit easier so maybe you can shift some of that time to the swim for instance but also think about it as a proportion half an hour of swimming a week will be a lot for a lot of people whereas removing half an hour from their bike is probably not that much for most people they're probably riding a lot and taking a half hour away is going to be as you say it's going to be probably easy riding they take away so half an hour of easy riding is not very like it's not a big stimulus that you're removing whereas half an hour of swim added even if it's easy swimming is a lot particularly in a technically heavy sport because it's you know swimming is so technical so i think and then
1: just to add to the complexity of that it might be that of course if what you do in your biking Since you're going to bike 180 180 kilometers, it might be that that easy ride is actually closer to basically your race pace. But if you are starting to do like sprint training in your cycling, uh, probably that's actually the way that you could maybe trade away a little bit. Because that is not what you really need in a race. And as long as that doesn't really is needed to do something with your race pace, well, then most likely you will not. Yeah. Potentially, you lose a little bit on your sprint power, but when was the last time you needed sprinting in an an Ironman?
0: Yeah, this is common in the ultramarathon world, that most of your training is faster than race pace. Yeah. it's a bizarre concept that happens mostly in ultramarathons
1: ah but in ultramarathon you can say that you, uh, it depends of course a little bit on what how much faster if it's a little bit faster then it's good because you, how often will you be able to run like 50k exactly. or 80k so this is again back to a little bit making a dent in the curve because it's not like you'd make an isolated dent in the curve like any dent in the curve like the power curve that we talked about yeah. or velocity curve is going to influence the whole system it's just going to have a bigger influence obviously closer to that specific velocity Your power that you're targeting but in general it will make an impact let's say in the whole curve Um, and then of course if you're an ultra runner um, that means of course that getting in those sessions where you can make a dent on your 50k or your 80k uh, 100k, 160k uh, uh, performance, that's going to happen on race day because you're not going to have probably yeah. any 160k runs uh, other Two, than on race day. Too hard to recover from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or uh, basically, it just takes too much time, yep. purely too much time. Uh, you basically do 20 hours of running in, in, in one session. That's going to be tough to bridge in with the family or family, friends, and work and other things, obligations that you have. But the point is more that then to make a dent in the curve or do something with the fitness, then you have to work a little bit on the shorter duration. That's obviously going to sit at a higher speed velocity than what you do in your racing to, in order to make that dent. But it has to be, again, if it's too far away, like what you're working on is your five-minute uh, velocity or power. That's so far away from what you what you need and what you're going to do in an marathon that most likely that's a place where you can easily take away a little bit of the hours and shift it a little bit down or like in triathlon doing sprinting on a bike, for example, or even on, on, on the run depends what you define as sprinting, but sprinting in, let's say it's uh, normal terms. Uh, I would say it's, it's 20, high. high, 20 high second I, I, I was, I would be highly skeptical to think or, or believe that you would be able to bridge a lot of that into, um, into something that actually provides gains on race day in an Ironman. Yeah, great. So then we've talked about modifying training
0: in terms of working on strengths versus working on weaknesses. As a general idea, how do you, or how would you importion intensity and volume between the disciplines? I know you use calorie budgets, but are you doing the same number of intense sessions, different numbers of intense sessions, and where's the volume sort of fitting in? Let's ignore perhaps, easy volume, because that's probably going to be like, that'll modify based on time more so, but maybe let's talk more about volume and intensity as a, as a combination. So higher intensity sessions and what that volume is across a week between the disciplines.
1: So of course, this is where we might then first do a little bit of a clarification because volume is of course X, Y, and Z. Um, so it's not something that's one-dimensional and um, when you combine for example distance and intensity or duration and intensity this is basically when we get volume uh, because volume is more a function of exactly how much and how hard and uh, this is actually bringing us back now to the performance model and profiling, uh, because how I would distribute that across, or what kind of intensity and these kind of things, that would be then dictated a little bit about your profile and how much we need to alter that. For example, later in let's say in the vertical domain or let's say the short duration as or the vertical as we called it. Or in more, make it more horizontal, which is more than emphasizing more the more endurance part of that power uh, curve, or velocity curve. So, for example, one thing that you can't, you can never forget for an Ironman athlete that the specificity obviously is duration or endurance, and even though we could say that maybe the weakness is for example let's say that it sits or the a limiter is more like the little bit shorter or as a medium to short duration that it, it, it that's the ratio between the long the medium and short duration is very narrow so like we said you can't expect to ride harder for 60 minutes than what you can do for 30 minutes and you and vice versa you will always be able to ride harder for 30 minutes than what you can do for 60 minutes then if the differences between the two are too narrow, this is basically where you obviously have to evaluate, okay, do I need to do something more with my shorter duration power first before I start to try to increase my longer durations. This is of course a bit of a, call it a, Liner thinking uh, and a little bit simplified uh, of course doing it because it's not like if you don't Let's say if you have a flat profile and you focus on your longer duration that you're not gonna improve your longer duration You will improve the longer duration. The question here is just whether are we able to Be smarter about the programming in order to induce um, a change in the profile or let's say in your target power target duration Faster by, for example, focusing a little bit on the sh- medium to shorter duration for a period f- before we then go back and go full on on the longer durations. So, again, how you would prescribe the volume, meaning then intensity and duration or timing inten- like at different intensities, will be for me at least dictated a little bit about your profile. But in general, I would say that of course, if this already sound a little bit complicated, this is when I would say that, okay, go with, we know that basically one thing that is important is of course to have a distribution, like just focusing purely on specificity without doing anything else is probably not gonna be, bring out the best in you. And that's why variation is important because we adapt to different stimuluses and very often we can draw benefits from that across other intensities afterwards. But again, to to try to not make it too complicated, I would say that of course it's not like if you do 200 watts for two hours, that then you can just go down to one hour and do 400 watts. That obviously doesn't work.
0: And that's because intensity is 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 more logarithmic than it is linear, right? So it's not the impact of that intensity is is more than double, I yes. guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think uh, there's a couple of laws. The power law, for example, quite accurately, not perfectly, but quite accurately describes this. So typically, if you increase, for example, we would normally say that if you double the velocity, then typically there's a quadruple in force and there is an eight times increase in power. Um, That doesn't, you can't. Put that straight onto here but that's that is the I say, a, the polo more that's, less.
0: that's the principle you're working yeah. off here which yeah. is that yeah. 200 watts is not double
1: yeah so it means basically that if you prescribe more high intensity it means basically then that the the distance will go down or the duration will go down and the volume will actually have to go down as well if you prescribe more high intensity if you are prioritizing more lower intensities, obviously, then volume can be higher. And not volume in this sentence is actually then measured as distance per time uh, or um, or uh, kilojoules or uh, calories in general, how much calories are you have. So more in high intensity, you won't be able to turn around. That's why also bridging, bridging back then to uh, one of our previous podcasts was that I can have longer microcycles normally when we focus on the Olympic season versus, for example, if you focus on Ironman season because basically the amount of calories that you can expend on a day when you do more, let's say, targeted training is much higher than what you can do when you, do, when you target, for example, velocity, power, and so on that is required to uh, be competitive in an, in an Olympic racing. So back to the original question, uh, how do I prescribe volume? Uh, or or apportion it so how do you
0: split it up across the three modalities
1: yeah so then uh, i would in swimming i would try to touch upon most of the intensities but because in swimming as opposed to an open water swimmer or specialists they typically can spend 20 to 30 hours a week on purely swimming in triathlon you don't have time for that because you have also to, to prioritize cycling and running and we already said okay if you just look at the distribution of time in a race then you will see that swimming is a is a smaller very much smaller part of it is less than 50 percent of the time even of the run or in actually in olympic races, is a little bit more than half of it but but still it is close to half of it of what you do on a run um, and uh, in the longer duration, like in Ironman, then it's actually even less comparably to 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 the running. And again, it's also like okay, if you redistribute an hour to swimming, will you then save uh, more, or will you be then equally faster compared to what you lose from where you take that hour? So, in swimming, running, and or swimming, biking, or running. All Of those sports, we try to touch within all of the intensities, so we but it's a little bit more not as a smooth model as you would find in a specialist sport. So, typically for us, like the low intensity happens, like as at what we see, what we know from experience is the highest intensity that we can normally target on the lower intensity because we have to condense the program also a little bit more for each of the disciplines.
0: So, just for, for listeners, that'll be what they would probably call the top of zone two, I guess. So just below what
1: some people would call first threshold or VT1. Is that fair to say? Uh, and of course, the problem with the sound models also is that what how, how do you even define a sound? This is this is one of the things that I I, I don't like too much very often with sound models or when we communicate sound models, because people have so many different approaches to sounds. And what what, what what are we expecting to develop in zone one? What are we develop, are expecting to, to develop in zone two and so on? And if you, for example, define the zones as a function of your, let's say, your FTP, uh, for example, or critical pace only. Again, like we also talked about that, in, I think, in the first episode is that you can have different profiles. Yep. So, for example, two persons that has the same profile, but you have a much larger drop-off in your profile. So you have a more vertical profile, but you have the same, say, critical power that means that for one guy now running in zone two based as a percentage fixed percentage of that critical power will be easy for another guy that will be already pretty hard that means also that fatigue that that guy will or that girl is gonna induce is also much larger the stimulus is much larger it will most likely impair the next critical session or key session more heavily than for the other guy that has a more flat profile and basically it only is... Think of it this way. If Kipchoge can run at 94% of his view to max for two hours, what is it like then when you go for zone one, 65%? It, It is so low intensity, relatively speaking, for him that it's... For him to make a dent in that curve there, he would have to run probably across a continent, exaggerating, of course. But, yeah. And that's, it, that's the thing, that I don't like zones that much. Uh, I rather like to look at the curve of an athlete and rather see, okay, do you have like a flat curve? Do you have a vertical curve? And this is basically what then basically will also define a little bit where how much do we have to do at a certain intensity to make a dent in that curve, or let's say build to make a dent in that curve.
0: I guess. So how could we explain it to listeners then around roughly what that intensity is for them to have context?
1: So lactate of course makes it makes this simple. Yep,
0: so would you say before the first increase in lactate? Is that yeah. fair to say?
1: Yeah, exactly. So that means okay. that for example for us it means that we do obviously uh, like with most models there there is much more volume uh, done in the in at the lower intensities and then there is uh, less hours the higher the intensities becomes yep. uh, we don't have like a typical model so of course there has been a lot of talk about uh, pyramidal models versus uh, polarized models and and and, and so on but we don't have a fixed model. I would say that if you just look at it in uh, statistically, it looks more like a pyramidal model than it does like a polarized model. And the simple reason for that is you also have to look at what is your specificity, what is your race specificity. So for example, for somebody that are competing like, uh, like very high intensity or in a place where you don't have equally good instruments to be accurate on how you are quantifying intensity and you might also be afraid or trying to find ways to uh, avoid injuries over training or things then you can say that what the benefit of a polarized model is that on one side the more the intensity you bring into a program obviously the more have to be done at a lower intensity it, it just forces itself out it's not like you can just say okay today i'm doing three workouts a week at VO2 max training and then i do five workouts a week at threshold and then i do 10 workouts uh, with long slow distance and then you just say hey uh, next year i'm gonna train 50 percent more and then we just uh, like add one and a half extra session or one and a half time the duration to the VO2 max work and then we basically do suddenly now seven and a half workouts of threshold or 50% longer, it, it doesn't work that way. Basically, when you scale up a program, the first thing where you will start to meet the limits, if we now simplify and we look away from psychology, motivation and other things, but we generalize a little bit, and that is that if you have very little time to train, Obviously, you need to prioritize a little bit more the medium to high intensity training. The problem with too high intensity of your training is that the volume you're able to execute at that, or let's say you are able, yeah, the volume measured as kilojoules or purely distance that you are able to cover at high intensity limits itself Mm -hmm. uh, because the time to exhaustion is too short.
0: Yeah, you can only do so much at that pace or that power or whatever because you just won't be able to sustain it.
1: Yeah, uh, and of course, you will be able to sustain a high heart rate. So if you're just forcing yourself through that, yeah, you can still stay there with a high heart rate and say, hey, bravo, I did a lot of high intensity work today. Yes, but you didn't cover very much distance because you're fatigued and you basically, your your, your velocity or your power just dropped off uh, throughout the session.
0: And as a bit of a carrot for later and your quality declined.
1: Exactly. Yes. We'll, we'll
0: talk about that later. Today's episode is sponsored by Morton, the leader in fueling for endurance sports. With patented hydrogel technology, Morton found a way for athletes like Christian and Gustav to tolerate more carbohydrate during training and racing. The advances in performance when using the Morton gels, drink mixes, and bicarb system have been clear. It's the fuel behind triathlon gold medals, world championships, and world records. Hydrogel technology has no added flavor, preservatives, or colors, and is made with only natural ingredients, so it's clean. Only what's required to aid performance, nothing more. And now you can benefit from the same world-class fueling system thanks to an exclusive one-time code that will give our listeners 20% off the Morton 1 slash 52 collection, a curated selection of products to fuel a one week of structured training. Especially in training, every fueling moment counts. It's how athletes adapt and race better. Simply add the 1 slash 52 collection to your basket at morton.com and enter the code in our show notes at the checkout. So intensity distribution wise, it's hard to say polar. You know, it's hard to say pyramidal polarized. But roughly, as you've pointed out, well, the top, let's call it um, above second threshold, above uh, maximum lactate steady state. Let's use lactate values because this is roughly what the zonal models are based off, and it you know it's sort of a little bit more concrete. So above maximum lactate steady state, you're kind of limited. there is limiters there in terms of how much you can achieve in a week. Yeah. And therefore, as you add volume, particularly volume above, say, first lactate turn point, into that middle zone. Ironman distance sort of intensity almost that you can actually extend a lot, right? And that's kind of, if we were to say um, historically nor- the Norwegian model, if you want to call it double thresholds, that's kind of the principle it's built off is you can accumulate a lot of volume in that zone yeah. in a way that you can't accumulate volumes above it. yeah. And so your model or, or what you're doing with Krishna Gustav will look a little bit different to what it might look like for an age grouper because they are just accumulating much more volume at higher intensities.
1: The main, main difference between Christian uh, or Gustav and, and age groupers, I would say, obviously, mainly would come from uh, the lower intensity domain. So if training at LT1 is basically where they would be like having a proportionally larger volume uh, than uh, the age groupers as you move up a little bit more to the high intensities, then also, of course, there are age groupers that are doing double thresholds. Um, but it, I don't think it's that common to do that. Uh, and also when you start to do double thresholds, this is also where you need to be even more... Uh, I and also I think double thresholds is it's is, is a little bit of a misleading, misleading um, term because it seems like we are doing it at, The threshold. That's not the case either. It can be that one session goes a little bit below, a little bit longer, or or at, and it can be another other session goes a little bit above uh, and shorter duration. Um, But in general, let's use just threshold as a because it's close enough. Um, Then. Um, when you start to do this, of course, if you're getting closer to exhaustion, this is, of course, when you're running into the danger zone, because mm-hmm. now you have the ability. It, one of the dangers, let's say the biggest dangers at threshold is not necessarily so much injury, as long as you're controlling the intensity good enough, but it's more that you actually are really depleting yourself. And if you now are going to do another one of these the same day, yeah. I, you most you most likely won't be able to uh, uh, get half halfway through the session because you need one um we know that the refilling or resensitication of glycogen for example in the muscles happens m- apparently much slower when they are completely depleted um as opposed to when you hold back a little bit or or don't go all the way to exhaustion um and I'm not talking about now about like like when I talk about exhaustion now I mean basically when you exhaust the glycogen stores. So you can of course reach exhaustion, but you're just going five minutes all out, but you haven't exhausted your glycogen stores. For that reason, there are other mechanisms that are basically causing exhaustion there. Uh, but when you're around threshold, this is something where things exactly like you say you are in a steady state condition, and it allows you to basically like take out whatever resources that you have in your body and 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 empty them. Uh, whether that's neurological whether it's glycogen whether it's pure muscle fiber uh, fatigue or whatever the cause is uh, really doesn't matter but you you bring this is a place where you can bring mostly everything to 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 exhaustion so again no velocity without power no power without calories and the most important calories we are turning around our threshold is obviously the carbs so to bring it back to how do we distribute volume how would you distribute volume in the training i would say In a week, I would at least try to get in. For an arm and athlete, it can be okay to do a little bit of work above your anaerobic threshold or FTP or maximum steady state or metabolic steady state or whatever you want to call it, VO two steady state or critical power or yeah, VT two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the thing, so the thing is that doing work above there in in an Ironman, and then you're getting into a domain where I would say that you are looking at diminishing return uh, of... uh yeah, yeah we, we,
0: diminishing returns
1: yeah. with respect to risk, especially, and then um, yeah, but also actually in terms of training benefit because it's too far away, really, from what you're looking to do in an arm. But of course, it's important to be up there and touch a little bit. But like going into like sprinting or like doing a lot of U2 max intervals and these kind of things, that then there really have to be like a identified need for it before you do a lot of time on that. And it can even be more smart, maybe to rather to make a combination session where you have more like threshold then you can do a little bit of call it view to max work inside there for example to have a little bit of stimulus on that um,
0: and the reason you do that is because your curve is very flat and it's early in the season and yeah. you're trying to change that profile a little bit so that it doesn't end up hampering you later in the season as yeah. we discussed in our yeah. planning episode
1: yeah exactly and if you have a flat, se- flat, very flat curve then of course it can make sense to do a little bit more like up in- towards of course view to max and maybe put in a little bit more volume on that as well Um, But I would say that in general uh, throughout the week, if you have 20 hours, let's start then with the key sessions. So if if you are early in the season, you're not gonna look like uh, looking for like exhausting yourself on a bike for 180 kilometers. You are more looking to build like general fitness.
0: And in this context as well, without a gap analysis, calling for it you're probably not going to do a lot of combined sessions a lot of brick sessions and that because it's too far away from later in the season they come in and if there's a gap analysis that suggests hey actually i need to do some bike running or some swim biking for some reason then okay we'll do that maybe
1: yeah exactly i would try to get in six sessions with intensity a week yep so Uh, that's
0: six sessions that are not easy so whatever intensity you're doing them at be that above second threshold or above first threshold, they are all above at least first threshold. So uh,
1: uh, Yeah, and I would say even you have, no, I, I would say even that you're actually looking at bringing it in out around your second threshold. Yep, This is where you want to be because you can go above your first threshold, but the time to exhaustion here is still so long that you're really not making any impact on your training. You're purely working on efficiency, for example. So in order to make a dent in the curve, um, for a session that is typically lasting max, couple of hours, including warm-up and cool-down, then I would say that uh, these sessions should be around, let's say, your second threshold or your critical power, FTP uh, and so. And the way that you would try to uh, spread them out across the week is obviously that we know that this, the limitation for these kind of workouts are closely correlated actually with also glycogen stores, how well they are filled up. because as the main resource you're using uh, in these kind of sessions and so if they are partially or depleted, then okay then you will also partially be able to complete it so here i would say that uh, if you're looking to stand six sessions for example if you do a little bit of a shorter uh, threshold swim then for example so second threshold or critical power ftp uh, so you do yeah let's say a little bit shorter on that one for example um can be close to half an hour or 40 minutes with spe- specific work around that velocity and that will then be typically also above your Ironman velocity that you are doing in swimming. On the, Then the same day depending on how hard that swim was now I would then if it was really hard I would probably not take the run just purely because the run is a little bit more fatiguing than the bike. So if you plan that for a little bit like a harder swim around there, then I would probably now bridge that in with, for example, like a second threshold bike session. Again here looking to do something that maybe depending on where you are, but if you're doing 20 hours of training a week, I would say that you should be capable of doing around probably as intervals 60 minutes of this, this kind of work plus minus probably more on the plus side and then looking to, to build that a little bit more further out in the season. Then I would typically take one day where I would keep things uh, easier. You can have more volume if you want, but typically, but a low intensity. And then the day after there, I would now alternate. So now, for example, if I had I had swim and uh, bike on the first day, and then had a long, more like a volume, low intensity day, and number two. Then on the third day, you could do Again, I would say now a little bit, for example, a little bit different swim, and then you do a run. But you can also today do, for example, a bike and a run. So today, you, for example, do a medium intensity or second threshold bike, which again sits above your race power in Ironman, obviously. Again, make sure that you get enough time between these two sessions because you need to fill up your glycogen stores and be mindful about this even start uh, like getting carbs during the session that's important one to imply to of course make sure that you are able to perform the best at that specific session you're doing already but already thinking of your next session as well because you need to fill up your glycogen stores probably within a couple of hours before you do your next session and even if it's an afternoon and you have six hours in between there still i would focus on like Really like getting in carbs during the workout, throughout the cool down, uh, between the workouts and then also a little bit like a prep before the next workout you do during the warm up and then also during that session. But then uh, now when you have done that medium intensity or second threshold um, bike plus minus intensity then you can go on to the run and now of course depending on how hard the bike was you are either either looking for either a little bit higher intensity lower intensity or a little bit longer duration or shorter duration but again around that intensity so now you've done four of these uh, high intensity sessions
0: across three days
1: across one, three days with one easy
0: day yeah. between two days with double double like double hard sessions in them
1: yeah yep. ex- exactly and now you can do fourth day again maybe now you can do a little bit easier day for example you've had three quite hard days or actually not three hard days you had two hard days but a volume day also in between and that also it's not that's not recovery it's still work so now i would put in maybe a little bit easier day so maybe you just go out for a easy bike ride do something like it can also be another another activity if you if you really want but most people probably stick to their routine like either bike run swim so now the fifth day this is basically in the sixth day this is where probably you could now just take one session of each of them Uh, and that's where you get now your fifth and sixth threshold session in there or a little bit high intensity sessions of course since you now have only one session uh, of these these days now you can of course have a little bit high intensity also because you've got longer time to recover before your next session and of course uh, now maybe the question is, hey yeah but Now there's missing high intensity on one session here. Well, that's stability then either you alternate or you focus then on that sport where you have maybe more to gain on taking a little bit high intensity or you just make your microcycle 14 days or whatever needed. So basically one weekend or these two days, for example, you work on... um, swimming and biking and the next weekend you work on biking and running and the weekend after there running and swimming again and so on so you, you you basically shift it around a little bit to get a little bit of variation but it's very easy to standardize this and then when these sessions are in place this is when you start to fill in more like now the lower intensity sessions around there to get your 20 hours but the whole point with filling in the lower intensity sessions is that you have to define what are development sessions and what are maintenance sessions. sessions.
0: We're getting there. I'm coming to that in a second. All right. A couple of clarification points though for, for listeners. Those sessions on the weekend or on let's call them fifth and sixth day, whatever days of the week you decide them to be, they are single sessions in a day. Is that where you would put the more, let's call it VO2 max short duration, uh, higher intensity stuff? Is that where those would live or would they live earlier in the week if you had to do them because you wanted to move your curve early in the season?
1: Mm, yeah so those days when you have more like the single high intensity of course this is just one there are many ways this can of course be put together so this was just one example we can now yeah. if you want we can sit there now for the next five hours and produce like a whole variety of different examples for how this can be put together that's season two that's season two yeah i think i think that Uh, This was just one practical example for how it can be put together and those high-intensity sessions, whether they they are happening in weekdays or whether they happen on the weekends, uh, really up to what people prefer. But of course, I would get in more than one session. So if you do it as high-intensity session, it's also a brilliant day to also get in like maybe a volume session as well. So you do some low-intensity, longer rides, longer runs, a little bit longer swim, depending on what that high-intensity session was.
0: So now we've got what a weekly structure looks like, how we're apportioning volume. Now let's assume that we're using that structure as our age group, we're 20 hours a week. Now I've got work, things are getting difficult. Where am I cutting stuff? Am I cutting or I'm not recovering so well? I'm struggling because of work stress. Am I cutting intensity from the sessions? Am I cutting volume sessions? Am I cutting sessions as a whole? Where, Where am I removing some of this training stimulus to help me better adapt if I'm not coping with the volume, not necessarily because the volume is wrong as a prescription, but because I'm not recovering outside of that volume.
1: Let's do that one more time. again? yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is that a little bit, uh, you on the one side, we could approach it very generally, or we could approach it very specifically because, um, If the high intensity is what is in focus, for example, and you are not coping with it, that would manifest itself, for example, then in that you are not able able to reach your target Mm -hmm. in those high-intensity sessions. Mm -hmm. But let's say that the high-intensity sessions are not in the focus and it's the low-intensity sessions that are in focus, for example, or let's say race-specific sessions that are in focus, um, and you're not able to meet your targets there. This is, of course, where you then have to evaluate whether actually the training that you do, out let's say in addition to those race specific sessions and you do a lot of them obviously because you're training 20 hours a week um that you then have to evaluate whether you actually go a little bit too hard on those sessions Mm. i wouldn't probably reduce intensity too much on those sessions that you have there because hopefully you've dialed in that intensity for a specific reason so it's more about maybe dialing back a little bit on the volume instead or let's say the duration uh at that intensity so that. Basically, uh, and then looking at whether that will then partially start or where you now start to perform on those higher-intensity sessions. It might not on all lower-intensity sessions. Uh, it really is something that most likely also would require a little bit of patience because I, you can, of course, if you if you are like really going hard on the wrong sessions um, so that it just it's almost obvious that it it must be that's the reason for why you are not able to excel on the other sessions, for example, that are important to you. Then, of course, dialing back, you will probably immediately have an effect uh, from that. But sometimes that can also take a little bit of um, time also. Purely, if you have done this over a little bit of a while, you maybe have already accumulated quite a bit of fatigue and you actually need to recover from that fatigue. And that takes... uh, a little bit of time but that's why it depends mm-hmm. a little bit of how how do you want to address this question now
0: i guess i'm thinking about um a situation that may not be as familiar to you which is just everything is fine so the age group is going along everything is fine coping with load adapting well things are progressing but then has a stressful period with home life or work life and feels listen i'm not recovering as a result of that extra stress that's on me that is not work that is not related to training but how am I modifying training in that context so that I can better adapt to training? Cause of course, if you're not recovering, you're not going to adapt and we're after the adaptation, we're not after doing more training.
1: So of course this is a place where we would like to have very good tools. And of course there is a lot of talk around HRV um, uh, and uh, people testing for everything from CK to REA to a lot of, other different biomarkers I we have done studies where we included more than 2000 biomarkers uh, uh, using uh, or looking at different uh, mRNAs and using proteomics but to be honest the best way to really figure out whether you are doing going too hard or not is that you have to learn to listen to your body and uh, if if you go if you put it this way if you go out on a session and you already have established a uh, scale so the little bit the problem also with RPE very often is that it is a one dimensional scale and what I mean by that you of course you can make your own scale here as well you can also use RPE like so perceived perceived effort and, and you do it rather like, like you say that okay a 7 then that should be like 70% to exhaustion so it doesn't take intensity only intensity into account anymore it actually takes both intensity and duration into into account put it this way when christian and gustav raced world championships if you ask them how they felt after 90k on the bike at the power they were riding they would say ah this is comfortable 180K, 180k after on the bike there. It they already start to feel different. At the end of the run, they are at a 10. And then you would say, hey, but this is even below your threshold. And normally we have learned that the threshold should be seven on, 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 on RPE scale. No. That is the little bit the call it the fallacy of this kind of one-dimensional metrics is that they don't take exhaustion into account. So, of course, uh, if you ask even also Kipchoge, uh, so when he was running the marathon, uh, if you ask him uh, when he is running 20, 21 kilometer, 21, actually more than 21 kilometers power, 21.1, 21.2 kilometers power uh, for the braking two. Then basically, if you ask him after 10 minutes, he would say, ah, oh, this is super easy. And then if you ask him midway, he would say, ah, oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit. And then at the end of the race, hopefully, if he paced himself correctly, he will start to react, I'm, I'm at of 10 now very, very soon. So I hope the finish line is where the finish line is going to be. Um, and, and, and that's the thing here also. If you already have in your training established the scales, so you know a little bit, okay, this is a threshold session, for example. So I'm working out my second threshold. Sometimes it can actually be good to not look too much on your instruments in the beginning of the session, um, uh, or you can actually do that. You look just briefly at an instrument, just say, Okay, now I'm there where, where I should be, but then look away from that and start feel a little bit. Do actually this feel as effortlessly, or as heavy, or as whatever scale you use? Uh, does it feel like a seven, uh, uh, or is it different? Is it eight? Maybe then okay. So let's bring it down to a seven. So it feels like a seven. Okay. So what does my power number look like now when I look at my, uh, uh, when I when I am at a seven, and then might actually be the right thing to do that day and probably for many days could be even and you will actually get be- more benefit from that than try and then just bring yourself to exhaustion and it looks like really good for a couple of days or a week or maybe two and then basically you can't complete your training for the week after because you either you get sick or you are completely fatigued or you're just looking for excuses not to do your training that's not gonna that's not the the, 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 the let's say the effect or disadvantage of that is actually that in the long term your adaptation is less optimal than what it could have been if you just dial it back a little bit and we're able to keep consistently uh on intensity that on average is higher than if you're just going a little bit too hard for one or two weeks and then you have to bring it all the way down the third week for example
0: so in that context then i guess you, what you're saying is um keep things as they are but modify the output so that it matches what you would hope it would be if you were fresh so if you're not quite recovering as well let's actually not take volume away let's not take duration away let's take a little bit of the intensity away but dial the intensity based on feel so not necessarily external numbers so it's not power numbers it's let's go on feel we know that yes my numbers were going to be whatever 250 watts today that was my that's my threshold if you want to call it that that's my threshold number that's what i wanted to hit today that's a 7 out of 10, but yeah, today 7 out of 10 is actually 230 watts and we're just going with that and the in, the adaptation will then be appropriate and the stimulus will be appropriate rather than having the external workload that's applied be more and then we're going above where we wanted to go from an internal workload perspective and how we're feeling.
1: Yeah, uh, we should be uh, I, I, well, yes and no, uh, because when I hear that you rephrase it, I also um, hear that um, that doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. And that's, of course, why using, uh, for example, or also trying to make uh, the perceived effort scale or RPE scale also two-dimensional, meaning basically that they did both encompass intensity and duration. Um, then you could also say that, okay, yeah, for some it might be right to bring down uh, the intensity, but keep up the duration. But for others, it could be that you keep the intensity, but you're bringing down the duration instead. Um, um, A little bit what's right or wrong is something you just have to feel. Do actually what you actually prefer in that session. Um, um, yeah, the- and, and actually also sometimes you might surprise yourself you you can maybe go into a session and, and, and you feel a little bit like oh this is a little bit harder than what it should be and, and after you've done a couple of intervals or you are getting close to halfway through the session you actually feel like oh now things are really like loosening up here um, and that you wouldn't be able to discover so sometimes sometimes you actually also have to be uh, willing to just test uh, and, and just keep it where it is so there is it's simple to it like getting good in everything takes experience it takes it takes um, uh, it takes time to, to, to discover all these kind of things and that's why it is important to be patient some people are lucky to meet a good coach or a mentor or train together with somebody that have had this experience and, and can and, and can give you these kind of tips so that you quicker are able to to challenge yourself or, 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 or advance. Some people are not as fortunate and they have to just find this, figure out these things themselves. And unfortunately, some people also unfortunately give up on the way there because they never had somebody that could tell them these kind of things. And suddenly they had this Eureka moment and uh, they become the world champion.
0: Yeah. So some of that will also depend on where they are in the season where the gap analysis is and all those those caveats that we had before, which is, you know, listen, if you really need to emphasize VO2 max or, or three minute time, or three minute power or three minute running, then listen, you probably need to keep that in your program provided you can sustain it. So I think that probably encompasses things well as like, let's try not to change things too much. If we do, let's maybe cut volume if, uh, well, let's cut duration and maintain intensity in some contexts and in other contexts, let's actually keep that, but let's actually reduce the, the intensity of that session a little bit yeah. and go there.
1: I think on one side, it's, on the one side, uh, if you just dial back the duration, the stimulus that you're providing your body with is going to be significantly less compared to if you're just dialing back the intensity a little bit. Uh, surely there's a proportional relation or a disproportional relationship between intensity and duration because of the power law. So, um, but in general, you can think of it this way: is that if you bring down intensity a little bit, you can still do a lot of work or cover quite a lot of distance. Whether you run, okay, so if you run, let's say 16 kilometers per hour, and you have to for to to, to feel at seven you're dialing it back to 15 kilometers per hour. Well, okay, in one hour, you just covered one kilometer less. That's still a quite decent distance to cover in one hour. If you decide rather to keep the intensity, you go at 16 kilometers per hour, but you are now shorting it down to half the workout, for example. Well, it doesn't help if you run 16 kilometers per hour because you are only now covering eight kilometers inside that hour there before you are slowing down or saying, okay, this is enough for today. So again... Um, there is no right and wrong. I would, I know, of course, probably a lot of our listeners would like to, because they have busy lives. Um, and they are looking, most people uh, are always looking for that quick fix or that quick solution. Uh, that single answer that, that, that makes their life easier. That's what everybody is, is looking for. And I think, unfortunately only experience makes your life easier but that's more like because you start to become efficient at making good choices smart choices and these kind of things and those come doesn't come for free they come through experience um so i would like of course to really provide some people with, with just very easy uh, answers to to what to do but i think eventually the people that are looking for the for the quick fixes or the the simple answers they learn soon enough if they actually sustain and they continue that that's not how it works. Um, basically you have to learn to make smart choices and by making smart choices and trying to make smart choices, even though that it costs to, to, to reflect and, and look for do smart choices. It costs more in the beginning, a little bit more mental power in the beginning, but in the same way as your muscles adapt to training, your brain adapts to training as well. So, uh, to, uh, by learning to be reflect over your workout what you could have done better you become better at and as, at some point you, it almost becomes reflexive, reflexive or, or autonomous so you automatically makes, you make better choices smarter choices uh, that, that quicker brings good results
0: yeah, and I think we've given them a framework to work within, right? So there's that whole statement of like, give a man a fish or give him a rod. Is And I think we've empowered people around how to make these decisions, which is the goal here. We, we can't make the decisions for you. We're not sitting with you, we're not your coaches. We are trying to help empower you to be more knowledgeable, to make better decisions, to not have to make as many mistakes because now you have a framework to work within. Experience is the name that everyone gives their mistakes. And we're trying to avoid some mistakes for you by giving some of the experience, particularly from you, not so much from me, but- uh, I would say for you as well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We are brought to you today by Plasmade. Plasmade is a proprietary liquid performance and recovery supplement formulated using only one active ingredient, French Maritime Pine Bark Extract, aka PBE. PBE is an adaptogen which triggers your body to produce a stabilised form of nitric oxide, which is a powerful vasodilator, improving blood flow to muscles and the brain. Plasmade is for use pre and post exercise, augmenting other energy and hydration supplementation used. In addition to all of this, Plasmid also has powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effects, which aid in recovery from training and competition. For your 25% discount on Plasmid and to learn more, head to the show notes. So now we get to the part where we've talked about intensity a lot. We've talked about many things and we've signposted and we'll come back to a lot of things and, and we're here. So intensity control, it's almost synonymous with you. It's synonymous with the Norwegian method in many ways and in many senses of what the Norwegian method is. So let's talk about it. Um, how? I mean, we, we know how you do it, and that is lactate, that is MOXIE, that is a number of mechanisms, including RPE, etc. Now, how would you do this with fewer resources? So, say I'm an age grouper, I've got a heart rate monitor, GPS watch, power meter, the the very basics, I guess, that you would have if you were going to Kona. How would you deal with intensity control in that context?
1: So this is where I would go with a two-dimensional RP system or perceived effort, meaning basically how close are you to fatigue. Uh, Both one-dimensional but also two-dimensional. One-dimensional where you just use a perceived effort scale Um, uh, in a simple context. Like, for example, you know that, okay, four to five is something that is easy, something maybe that is close to your arm and pace. uh, Seven to eight where you are getting more, where you are at your second threshold. And then obviously... Uh, let's say uh, eight nine is where you are nine you are at a view to max and then ten they basically you couldn't have done um, second more Um, but then of course when you also start to make it two-dimensional this is of course where you're also looking at where maybe you go out with something that should be an and pace but at the end of that session it starts to feel more like a seven eight and if it feels like a ten that's not very good because you are supposed to also run a marathon afterwards then If you, I know you already said you have access to a GPS, you have access to a power meter, and with that, we get very far. Um, It's a little bit more brute force, but we get very, very far, and we can get to a gold medal with that one. Uh, And then, with that combined with uh, perceived effort, uh, we actually have most of it. And if you have heart rate, then we are like we're already having now several. Metrics that we can use. If you have a power meter for running, that means we basically have both velocity uh, and we have uh, power. The same we do actually have for the bike now. We have velocity and we have power or GPS and power. Um, so that means we have two output metrics, um, and then we have uh, some input indicators uh, here that sits more on, let say, on the soft side, which is heart rate and which is perceived effort. Uh, which are more relative metrics then basically when you go out uh, normally uh, depending on where i am in the season if i'm far away from competition on things i would probably adhere more to perception and uh, say heart rate uh, and allow there to be a little bit more variation in the power output and or the velocity while the closer i get to the race the less i would emphasize those because then hopefully we have done the work that is needed and this is when you start to focus more exactly on what do you need to achieve on race day and hopefully you've done the work leading into this good enough that you have the fundament to start to 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 bridge that home
0: yeah so early phases we've got these four data points we're using them we're dialing them in over time we're repeatedly training at those intensities or below them. So we're starting to collect more and more data to make sure that the day-to-day variation that we may see in some of these is starting to be washed out and we start to get an appreciation for a range they sit in. For instance, heart rate so it will sit in a, probably more of a range and it will be one number in this case. And then as we get towards the competitive end, we've done enough work now that we are pretty confident in what paces we can hold and that they're an appropriate RPE and heart rate. So then that's why you're emphasizing the switch there, but it also means that You're going to have a good idea of race day pace and that was something that i'm not going to ask you is how do you predict race day pace because you should have an idea of it a you should work back from hopefully something similar but b you should have a good idea by now if you're training and understanding your training and understanding what you can sustain with rpe with heart rate and whatever other measures so one thing we haven't mentioned we talked about intensity control in in
1: running and cycling what about swimming so in swimming, uh, the benefit there is, of course, you're swimming in a pool, uh, conditions independently of, of where you are in the world, they are going to be pretty much the same. We'll say the 25 or 50 meter long, so it's fairly easy to pace yourself on time there. However, that's the external metric, or let's say the output metric. And you're looking for indicators that can help you guide you. Let's say you're a little bit uncertain about your perceived effort, but perceived effort obviously is going to be like an important metric there.
0: Yep. So we've still got pace. We've got a clock on the wall that's going. We've probably got a GPS watch on as well, because we, you know, most GPS watches you can swim with. Yes. Um,
1: we may have a heart rate monitor um, yes. as well. So of course, if you have a heart rate monitor, uh, problem is a little bit that you can't necessarily look at it during your swimming. Now, of course, one thing that is coming, and I really, I am very excited about, is of course now we have goggles that have both displays, pace, stroke rate and it also displays heart rate. And uh, that's like running with a computer on your wrist now, or you have a computer in front of you. And that has been the missing piece in swimming. Because one thing that is really nice with this uh, in, in swimming is that in swimming, obviously in the same way as in running, as opposed to cycling, as in cycling, you have gears. In running, you don't have gears. You have the combination of stride length, and stride rate. Same thing actually in swimming, you have distance per stroke and you have stroke rate um and one thing that is that if you are for example focusing on a certain velocity or pace in swimming uh and you are starting to see that your stroke rate is going up then you have to assess whether okay is this fatigue am i not able to actually keep my technique now form properly and then either be able to refocus or you maybe have to 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 look a little bit at how would I now break up my intervals moving forward to not induce like poor technique or things like this. How can I improve my technique over a longer distance? So that's one of it. The other thing is, of course, you have heart rate. So here you can look at the disconnect or let's say the drift in heart rate upwards, downwards. One thing that is important to note is that a lower heart rate on one side, it can be a sign of that, for example, there is a positive adaptation taking, taking place. Simplified, you're getting aerobically fitter or more powerful. But you can also have suppressed heart rate as a function of fatigue or other things that are also going on. So that's why it's always important to have ideally one other external or let's say internal metric as well. And in many cases, that is, for example, your perceived effort. So Remember, again, heart rate is an indicator, lactate is an indicator. Perceived effort is something that you should really look into developing uh, even better by, of course, obviously calibrating against these other internal metrics and over time. Uh, But uh, and then, of course, you have fatigue metrics as well, like, for example, looking at stride um, rates or stroke rates, for example, as a function of your velocity and what is happening over time there.
0: So. We have touched on a couple of times how things deteriorate. We've teased earlier around quality. So now we know you've got what you call key slash development sessions and you've got maintenance sessions. So what's the difference? Let's talk through this and let's talk through, you know, they're all quality is probably the, the, the overarching thing here is all of those are quality. They just have different goals in it and quality is about nailing the goal of the session and doing it well. So it's, it's the goal, but it's also performing the session well in terms of technique and those things. That quality isn't fast or slow. Quality is all the time. Now we have key
1: or development sessions and maintenance sessions. So let's go through those when you already have used the performance model and you have uh, made a profile, you understand where uh, you have been looking at uh, where are my gaps, so you are starting to reverse engineer things and you are now putting things into a system and then basically you are starting now to distribute your budget. Where do I invest my money? Where do I invest my time, my training hours, my work, my kilojoules, my distance? then basically you have to define what is it that you want to develop in this phase here. And that's gonna be your key sessions or your crit- critical session, priority sessions, really doesn't matter what you call them, but basically those are the most, those are the high priority sessions.
0: And so in the early phase of the season, that'll be gap analysis based. That'll be, hey, these are the things I need to improve specifically. Uh, and later in the season
1: i would still actually say that that applies all the way through the, through the season so i wouldn't say because the gap analysis you will lose you will basically use all the way throughout the season so it always will be the same there so yeah. this is basically more where you define actually where are your high priority session where are your medium priority session where is your low priority sessions and then when you have defined that for that block that you are in let's say that meso cycle we can typically say a block is typical a meso cycle normally mm-hmm. um you have to define then basically what is the most important to develop now in this block. Yeah. And that's going to be where you actually distribute your key sessions, your your like your like pro- high priority sessions. That can be high intensity, it can be medium intensity, it can be low intensity, depending on what you have said is the most important to focus on. Then when you have done that, this is when you have also then the development sessions because obviously you're not only going to like try to develop inside a key session. You're also trying to have some other sessions around there that helps you accelerate on those key sessions so the whole point with the development session is to set you up for success on the key sessions so there you are bringing in maybe other things that you maybe have identified as a sub limiter for those key sessions and then ultimately of course that's not gonna probably have do all the hours and this is where you are having the maintenance sessions as well so what is a maintenance sessions One of the things we do know is, of course, that every time, of course, when you're training, uh, this is when you're breaking things down. And then at some point uh, you stop your training. And this is, of course, when hopefully recovery takes place and you are starting to adapt to that training there. If you have only three sessions a week, then you have plenty of time to adapt and all these kind of things. But there are some things that basically, obviously, that that the body adapts differently. It's not like everything in your body adapts with the same at the same speed to put it that way. Um, so some things in the body adapts slower, some things in your body adapts quicker, and that means also that most likely those things that adapt quicker, you also lose quicker. Those things and sometimes maybe adapts a little bit slower, takes also maybe a little bit longer time to, 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 to lose um, when you don't exercise. But the whole point with maintenance sessions for me is exactly to slow down the loss of, let's say, things. Um, um, it might be a good example. Might be VO two max
0: towards uh, an Ironman. You might say, "Listen, we still need to do a little bit of that."
1: Yeah. For example. Yeah. That can be. That that can be. That can, that can be uh, yeah. Let's put it high level. Then then I would say that's that's a that's a, that's a really good example. So now in this session here, um, or in this week now, and you're distributing this, then basically, how do you, and again, go then ensure that you are going with the right intensity on this kind of sessions, the key sessions you have identified, those are, those are like sacred everything you do should set you up to basically allow you to progress on those sessions again a key session has nothing to do with high intensity medium intensity low intensity it is basically where you have to identify that you have to put your where you have the most to gain to focus on to to move forward to develop Uh, very often in very many environments these are synonymously with high intensity sessions or medium intensity sessions very seldom low intensity session but anyway it can also be a low intensity session Um, then the medium or let's say now the not medium but the the the, uh, development session Um, the development sessions what you have to you should ask yourself inside that session and after the session and also then during your key session did my development session set me up for success in my key session now when i'm doing my development session now am i going will, will 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 this make me faster on my key session if it if the answer is no, you have to reevaluate what you are doing in that session there, or if you're going too hard, are you going too long? Uh, are you doing something that you shouldn't do? Um, are you taking in enough carbs uh, to prepare? Like all these kind of things, that doesn't matter what it is. But the whole point with that development session is, of course, that you're looking to develop something, but it should. Be something that bridges also into your key session because the key sessions is basically I've said that the, these are the ones that are will be critical in the end for my wrestles in the world champs so the, the development sessions this is where you of course you ask yourself do this make me faster and you might not have the answer before later hindsight and hindsight is important um, this is how, how we learn when we reflect um, so then, when you have done your key session, of course, also ask back again. Did did that did it mean no? Did that development session actually set me up here in a way that actually uh, it allowed me to progress? What can I do better in my development session to allow me to progress even more or faster or better um, on my on my key sessions? Um, but very often, if you just look at this as a function of intensity and duration, very often the first place you start to dial back intensity is on your maintenance sessions. Those are the sessions you have said are the least important ones. Those are there primarily just to maintain certain functions so you don't lose them. Uh, you're not looking to develop anything. You're not uh, like those are the low, lowest pr- pr- priority. So those are the sessions you will first dial back, for example, intensity, bring down the intensity on those sessions because uh, very often, that is the problem for most athletes, especially if you're ambitious, you're aiming for the world champs. You are ambitious. You, you, you are looking you, you, like more is better, very often, you think. While that very seldom or never is the case when you're looking at a maintenance session. Then, uh, the second place to dial back, if you still are having a little bit trouble with your uh, key sessions, is you're starting to dial back a little bit of the intensity or duration on the development session. And if that over a little bit of time still doesn't make any difference to your key sessions, then of course, maybe it's time to do a reassessment of basically what are your limitations.
0: And so just to crystallize this a little bit, um, I think people probably understand what a maintenance session looks like and, and what a key session looks like. How does a development session look? So let's, let's use a scenario of we're towards race day. We're maybe a month out of race day. So our key sessions then are probably around running marathon pace you're let's say you're a month out so you're doing five by five k at marathon pace with something between a bit of a rest so if that's a key session what would a development session look like to support that
1: brilliant example so in this sense in this sense now of course we know that already your intensity uh, where your intensity is sitting uh, and in this case typically what we would do on a development session is now actually focus maybe a little bit on threshold So we are doing that a little bit shorter durations that are sitting a little bit higher power than your race pace uh, To help a little bit on the curve or lift things a little bit up But also as we already have talked about earlier It's also a good way to start to do something a little bit or let's say bring down the glycolytic power or let's say Bring down a little bit anaerobic power because you're looking to have a high utilization on race day but if now this threshold session, which very often is the like the holy grail for a lot of people, this is the session that they that is the FTP session, the CP session, the whatever session that anaerobic threshold session that everybody talks about, that uh, almost define your uh, worth. If you now start to go a little bit too hard on that one or a little bit too long on that one, how can you then expect to be recovered enough to really excel on your race specific session? So this is a place where you then will start to dial back first, not on your race specific session, but you have to start to dial back a little bit on that one. So maybe do your threshold session a little bit shorter uh, or bring down intensity slightly a bit, but maybe first I would say at this point, probably bring down, bring, bring down duration slight a bit, slight a bit like, or, or bring a little bit more recovery in between or whatever. But uh, like in between intervals, uh, many ways to do this um but in general you're looking to bring down effectively let's say on a bike work uh or distance you cover at that specific intensity on that session
0: and just to really put a bow on this this concept for for the listeners that development session with that same emphasis so say threshold for whatever reason and whatever we want to call threshold but say for threshold if that was your key session there would be a lot more volume devoted to that or or rather a lot more duration devoted to that. Whereas because it is a development session feeding your key session, you actually probably dial back some of that volume or duration rather, such that it doesn't impact that key session because the key session is still a key session, right? So that's still the Holy Grail this is now we're going to dial us back a bit. It is here to support that key session, not to fatigue me for that key session.
1: Yeah, because you can imagine that it wouldn't be maybe too uncommon if that the only thing you went out doing every day is either something that is long, slow distance, like very easy pace, very easy power, whatever. Um, and then you have the only, call it uh, the key session, or let's say the higher intensity sessions you're doing are race, pace, art, Ironman, uh, or marathon, or, 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 or biking. Um, that's it's difficult to make a dent in the curve at those, in, let's say, that intensity. But of course, this is exactly what you're trying to do now in this period. But at the same time, I would say that it's good to keep it a little bit higher uh, power, higher velocity. Uh, maybe we could dive deeper into why in a later episode. But, uh, the, but uh, what you're trying to do effectively with these sessions is that uh, you're trying exactly to bring that maybe down a little bit the anaerobic system or the anaerobic power a little bit quicker by having this session in there. But if what is happening is that you're causing other forms of fatigue as well that doesn't allow you to really excel on um, your uh, and specific uh, swims, uh, bike sessions, uh, run sessions, then you're doing too much on those sessions. Because in reality or, and, 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 and ultimately you are actually not going to race on your threshold power so if this is what you're focusing on or on 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 uh, or that you end up spending all your energy on or your budget on well you will probably excel on that one but and you will be really good for the first second third hour on your bike uh or after you've been swimming but then you start to really suffer and you're not able to 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 meet those targets that maybe you set earlier in the season that you were looking to do bringing for example your your arm and time from 11 hours to ten thirty, and that is the ultimate goal here so again remember that in this sense it's not you're looking you're not looking to excel like greatly on on a on a threshold session because uh, that's not the goal. That's like, not the goal. That is there basically to support the development of your, uh, Ironman specific sessions. And if you put this together also in a nice blend, it really can be good because of course it's, it will be difficult to like do both 180 K bike and then afterwards do, um, um, Marathon run, for example, but for example, now within because pure time constraints, but for example, getting in an early treasure session on the bike, so you actually are inducing much quicker some fatigue and you're depleting a little bit more of your glycogen stores, and then a couple of hours later, you get out on that marathon run is very specific. So in this sense, it is something that is really effective to, to, to where you are making, a, you're bridging a development session into a key session in order to work specifically on what you want to develop for that race day.
0: Oh, that's a really nice layering. I really like that. So that actually brings me to the next point, which is microcycles. So how are we building these into a microcycle now? So we've got now, we sort of talked about what a microcycle looks like before. And we talked about two sessions, two, you know, two sessions, sort of a day with a longer duration, then two sessions a day with a sort of easier day and then two single session days. Um, or where do the key versus development sit in there? Are they, are you doing one of each a day or are you some days you're doing two key sessions?
1: no i would say i would not do two key sessions they can be at the same let's say they can be at the same specific intensity like the specific intensity but there would be never be i um, there wouldn't be two key sessions so for example let's say you're doing a double let's say for olympic distance you could say okay then threshold is very specific uh for all across all three disciplines you are above your threshold at the swim but still it's close to threshold uh you are at close to threshold on the bike, uh, you are close to threshold on your run. Um, but even though we end up, let's say, let's say that with that day we were doing like double threshold. So let's say we were doing our threshold bike and then we do our threshold run, for example. The way that I would distinguish between the two is that the run would then basically, for example, be longer in duration or we would do more work, prioritize more work on that run session than what we would do on the bike session. So the bike session is not where we're looking to make the big dent in in, in the curve, but the run session is where we're doing it. So we're dialing it a little bit more, being a little bit more cautious on the bike session than what we are going to be on the run session purely to set it up for a good run session or where a specific run session so that's that's the way that the way that I would then normally do it in, 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 in let's say on a day for example to to bridge it together in a good way, but it can also be the opposite that for example we, we actually have the run session before first on the day, um, and uh, uh, and we we have the key session first uh, because we see that now that uh, that uh, that is what works best in this this block for example. Um and then afterwards they get a development session on the bike. Uh, and then you can say, ah, but that's not but that's not specific. You're not running before you are biking. Uh, no, that's true. But one thing you can be sure about is that if you go out and you actually go all out on the bike when you are fresh, and then afterwards you don't run, but you swim. Before you actually do that bike, your bike power will be down quite significantly because even though you're swimming and you're not like effectively like running or biking or using your, your legs in the same way, it's still, it's still enough that basically it, uh, uh, has a significant impact on your power output, uh, uh, so, so there are many ways to look for specificity and, and try to be smart in your training, and in the end, there should be a purpose or a why behind why you're doing the way you're doing it. And that takes time. Start with one thing, and then try to make be smart on like one day a week by putting things together there. And when you start to feel oh now this I really found a good rhythm here now this this makes a lot of sense for me. Well, then start with day number two.
0: And we talked about microcycle, six sessions, not necessarily. The orders, uh, the orders of them are, are not necessarily uh, development after key, but are there three keys and three developments roughly in that in that microcycle in that seven day cycle? Are we, are we saying three of each, or are we saying there's some weeks are gonna have more or some, some micro cycles will have more?
1: Uh, yes, um, and of course that's the, like, for, for Christian and Gustav, we cannot, I cannot times be up to nine uh, key, or, key and development sessions a week. Uh, but, each or total? Uh no, total. Total. Totally, okay. yeah. Yeah.
0: And do you split them fifty-fifty or is there a proportional split depending on what you're doing?
1: Depending on what we are doing. Okay. Yeah. Um so it's uh again rever- reverse engineer. <laughs> yeah. And, and and budget, right? It's <laughs> yeah. all, it's all budgeting. Because yeah. yeah. some of these
0: uh key sessions are gonna be very um budget unfriendly. Yeah. yeah. They're gonna break the budget, right? Whereas some of the um some of the development sessions maybe. You can fit an extra development session into a week where you couldn't fit an extra key session into a week just based on time or energetics or all of it, whatever yeah. whatever resource you wanna use. Yeah. But uh, no, I think that's really good for training. I think we've done a really good job there to talk about sort of how we would think about training, strengths versus weaknesses. We're talking about apportioning volume and duration uh, or intensity and duration rather to create volume. We talked about metrics to track how you would do that based on high or low resource environments, RPE, heart rate, et cetera. Uh, we talked about scaling training. So when do we need to cut things when we're fatigued? What about if we're working, et cetera? Uh, we talked about intensity control and we talked about key versus development sessions. We talked about quality is always there and it should always be there. The best quality at all times, but what you're focusing on will be different.
1: Yeah, even in a even in our call it, whether you call it a recovery session, adaptation session, easy session, It really doesn't matter. But it also is an opportunity to bring in elements of where you are looking to, for example, be able to go for the same power output but relax even more. Can you relax your jaws, your shoulders? Can you be in a little bit more aerodynamic position? Uh, Can you be more stable on the bike? Can you relax even more during a pedaling stroke? Can you run more efficiently, swim, get a better grip on the water, better feel for the water? There's a lot of things that... There that you can do in a easy session that you can't do in a hard session. Because the harder the session becomes, this is, doesn't come as a surprise to anybody, I hope. But of course, the harder you go, uh, the more blood will be prioritized towards your muscle. And that also means that there is a finite amount of oxygen in your body. And that means less oxygen to your brain. So if there is less oxygen to your brain... I think that you will hardly be able to solve very cognitive or intellectually uh, re- demanding tasks when you are doing uh, something that are bringing you closer to exhaustion. So that means that in order now to automate and be, and actually be able to reflexively uh, execute with high quality on your high intensity session, you should practice that already in the easy sessions because that's where you're getting into like the large volume of repetitions. How should things be uh, when you actually go at that key session that are bringing you close to exhaustion? And of course, you can say, ah, but there are so there are quite big difference between when you are run w- between the stride rate at low uh, velocity and high velocity, or, or stroke rate at low velocity versus high velocity. Yeah, but there are plenty of other things that you can practice. Everything from balance to feel, just being good in general there is a lot of things that maybe not have like direct relevance to what you're going to do in the key sessions or on your race specific sessions, but that in general would make you a better swimmer, better biker, better runner.
0: Great. That's such a good way to tie it all off. So thanks for that. We love. And there it is. Episode four, all done training. That was a big one. No doubt you enjoyed it. It was long. We appreciate having you appreciate your attention. We appreciate you. So, Thank you again. Please do send us any questions you have, as we've said before, via Instagram, DM to Centara Tech Instagram page. You can send us an email on info at centaragroup.com or you can, if you're on Spotify, put a comment there or a question in our Q&A section and we will get to that. So on that note, if you haven't done so, please. Rate the podcast, of course. Subscribe. I can't believe you're at episode four if you haven't subscribed yet. And join us next week where we'll be covering the specifics of the swim. The
1: The 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 Norwegian
0: method.